Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome back again today for another edition of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein. And we tend to want to do that in the world of sports, of music, of comedy, of testimonies, pastors, business, uh, wherever God would lead us. And I'm really excited today. We talked before we got on air here and it started taping about songs and a song that has meant an awful lot to me lately. And based on some personal stuff, even last night and this morning, Weary Traveler, which again, that song has meant so much to me lately. The guy who co-wrote it, Try wrote it. Are we supposed to say Try? I never understand there's two or three people. Yeah, sure. Why not? Try writer, Jordan St. Cyr is here with us today. So welcome, Jordan. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I'm going to get to it later, but it's, it's been fun how much effort we've had to put to make this happen. But I appreciate that about you because that means you really guard and protect your family well and, and a time with them. So we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, to start yeah. out, I saw you, as I referenced earlier, at Urbana Nazarene down the road in Urbana, Ohio with Colton Dixon. What was it, about three months ago, I think? Something like that. And uh, Weary Traveler, I think, was kind of starting to take off around that time. Yeah. And that was a fun show for me to just experience with my daughter and her two best friends and, and a Colton mostly just playing a piano all night. And a great show. But anyway, so I'm, like I said, I'm excited for a, a number of reasons. So give us first, it's always good to hear kind of the, the three-minute testimony. What's your kind of like being drawn to Jesus before you knew the Lord when you're there and it's, yeah. it's kind of the final boom and, and, and you know Jesus? You know, I never really had this come to Jesus moment in my life. I grew up in a Christian home, I grew up in the church. I think, I guess my real come to Jesus moment was probably when I was 12 years old. I just had this moment of really just asking and praying for God's wisdom over my life. You know, to be a 12 year old and asking for something so big, um, I think there, there was this competitive nature, you know, brewing in me. I love sports. I love winning. And when I read the word of God and when I read the way Solomon was given wisdom and all the other things were added unto him mm. because he went for the heart of God and wisdom over his life. Uh, that just profoundly hit me at, at 12 years old. And I just always wanted that. I wanted to make wise choices because I know my wise choices uh, will impact those around me, that ripple effect. And honestly, I just never look back. Uh, God has been so good and gracious in revealing really the depth of his love and character uh, and consistency he has for us. And so that's kind of been my journey, just slow and steady. So we're going to get to quote I heard you have recently that we're going to talk about much more in depth, but I have sons who are 19, 17, and 15, and a daughter who's 13. And I'm thinking about my kids when they were 12, particularly those boys, like where were they thinking what you're thinking? So you tend to go with the flow at that age with your friends. So did you happen to be blessed and have a friend group that was kind of right there with you? Or what made you say, okay, my friends aren't doing this, but I'm going to pursue God's heart at all costs? 
Yeah, you know what? I had a couple of great friends, you know, that were part of our youth group that were kind of on the same track, uh, just with God and and wanting more. I think uh, it was our our local church, you know, the church I grew up in, that really, uh, without forcing it, played a huge role in just presenting that opportunity for relationship with God, that you can have this if you want this. And I was just one of those kids that wanted it, and so that being presented in that manner in a very non-controlling environment, in a very loving kind of family style environment, really fostered that within me. Mm. I really love processes and thinking through us becoming disciples and obviously second yeah. Timothy two, two, and you know, we're called to be mature reproducing followers of Jesus. Is that something that I would imagine greatly resonates with you and always has for yourself and for those you I, invest in or. Absolutely. You know, I've always seen this, the starting point with Jesus is this narrow gate, you know, and then you walk through that narrow gate and you fall into this infinite depth of his mercy, grace, and love. And every day you're finding out more and more about him. And so for me, I kind of fell into that early on and I've, I've just kept searching, kept looking, kept wrestling, you know, even in my doubting, he's, he's still drawing me to new places and growing me and refining me. And a lot of it has just been, you know, making choices to be in different circumstances in different areas of life. You know, I was in a, a rock band for six years, you know, mm. playing bars and clubs. I was in YWAM all this time. I was serving at my local church, leading worship. And I just, you know, God brought me into these different areas to show the depths of his really his grace, mercy, and love that he has for all of us. Mm. I'll tell you what, every time you say something, I feel like I want to ask you another question, but I know I've got some stuff here I really want to go through because we're going to yeah, get to YWAM, yeah. which I've got some YWAM experience and other things. So I, I mentioned, right. I think I mentioned in one of the notes to you about, you know, I love, again, I love Weary Traveler. Fires obviously was a great song. I was telling someone today about you. I said, you know, what I love about Jordan's music is, you know, I think for many people, there's, there's a testimony flavor maybe to their songs, either personally or like Matthew West obviously is known to write music about other people's stories or whatever. But a lot of times those kind of songs that are more testimonial are kind of looking back versus I feel like you write ones and sing ones that you're right in the middle. And to me, yeah, yeah. knowing where I'm a mess, I need that. Like, yeah, that, that right. song was great that told about a story that happened five years ago, but I'm in the middle of it. Can you talk to me right in the middle of it? And I love that you just seem to embrace right. that. Speak to that. You know, I think a lot of us want to wait till our story resolves and then we're going to we're going to share it like we're going to win and then we're going to share our victory. Mm. But what Jesus tells us, what the good news tells us is we've already won. So how are we going to operate as victorious even when, uh, you know, we're in our fire or we're feeling weary and we are we are right there. We're in a season of, of this ebb and flow, this um you know, I always say like we're in between our miracle and the, and the not yet. And so we're, we're navigating some rough waters and then all of a sudden it'll smooth out, you know, for a couple months. And then we're back in it. We realize, oh, we're not quite, you know, out of this. This is, uh, for those that don't know, it's a, a chronic illness with my youngest daughter. She's three years old. Uh, she was born with a rare brain condition. And, and so uh, we're just, it's like a merry-go-round, you know, we kind of get through a phase and then we go around again and then. It just seems like uh, we enter this season over and over and over again. And it's it's tough. It's tough. But what it's made me realize is so many people are on that same ride. Mm. Um, and it has been an honor and a privilege to walk alongside so many hurting people and just 
reflect God's love, you know, the love that he has given to me and just convey to them that their circumstances are not a reflection of how God feels about them. You know, God's love and his will for them is intact. That's got to be a struggle for you, I would imagine, on some level that you're probably getting overwhelmed at concerts or emails or reach outs on your website or Facebook from people wanting to tell you their story or where you connected them or your thing speaks to their heart. I know at a concert, like I said, I saw you and you were talking to someone. I thought, well, I could wait. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to bother. I'm going to let him do his thing. (laughs) And then that probably happens because somebody probably comes up to talk to you and could talk for 10 minutes. And then, you know, everybody can't talk to you for 10 minutes. How do you wrestle with yeah. getting so many stories, not being overwhelmed, but trying to do, do, do justice where you think you want to do, do justice because this means something to yeah. you? I think if, we, if we're honest, there's no way to not be overwhelmed. I try and read everything that comes in, every story, every email, every message. Now, what I've kind of let myself off the hook of is being able to respond to every story. I'm a songwriter. I'm someone who is trying to use my life experience as a well to hopefully provide hope and comfort, peace for those that are going through a difficult time. I am not a counselor. I am not a therapist, but I will definitely, I want to be a listener. Hmm. And so if I can be a listener and just listen to people's stories, let them be heard and seen, that's basically what I feel called to do. And it is overwhelming. I was not prepared for the weight of the stories that would come in. Wow. The, you know, people are sharing the the most devastating moments of their lives. Mm. Um, and I didn't realize a song like Fires and Weary Traveler would draw that out of people. But I think they've, they've given people permission. And uh, I think the first step in, in healing is to really share your testimony and get those words out. I love that you focused on the word listening there because I think one of the words that hit me a few minutes ago with you was you seem like a curious guy. That's what seems to really mm. drive you with the Lord. And I remember a great story that I heard years ago about John Maxwell, the leadership guru, and John Wooden, the famous UCLA basketball coach. And they were together and both of them were kind of getting frustrated with the other one because they were trying to hear them, the other person talk more and you know, kind of having this tension like, I want to hear from you and I want to hear from you. And one of them finally spoke up and said, well, you know, you don't learn anything about talking. You only learn by listening. And I've always loved that thought. So talk about that and what maybe you're learning. You hit on Emory earlier and we were definitely going to dive into that. So I skipped ahead and we'll go back further back in the notes in a minute. But uh, you you and Heather have gone through some significant stuff even recently with with, uh, Emory, with seizures. And maybe unpack that a little bit more and maybe very specifically what you guys are learning about God through you know, just one of your children. Yeah. You know, so, okay. So Emery was born almost three and a half years ago. She was born with a rare brain condition. It's called Sturd Weber syndrome. So in her case, it presents itself on the left side of her face and head. And it's basically an overgrowth of blood vessels. The blood vessels are about three times the size they should be. And so those blood vessels are stealing blood away from the left side of her brain. And so it's not getting enough, you know, blood to, to grow and thrive. And so it's actually shrinking. Uh, suffering from atrophy. So that atrophy is causing seizures. Uh, she's at high risk of stroke, blood clots, you know, uh, development stuff down the road that we don't know about. You know, so we found ourselves in emergency rooms and ambulance rides and and it's been tough stuff. I will say though, that she is most definitely defying the odds. You know, there are some kids that have, you know, hundreds of seizures a day, uncontrollable. And uh, Emery is walking, talking. She's got a sense of humor. She's sassy. She's 
climbing up on the piano. Um, so it's it's one of those things where it's it's great until it's not. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we're navigating, kind of getting her back to her baseline, just her normal everyday self. And so that's where it's really odd. It's like as a three-year-old, she bounces back from these seizures within a couple of days and she's back to herself. And we just liken it like a computer, you know, shutting down and you just pray that it, it starts back up with all its programs intact. And uh, so that's kind of what we've been navigating. Is there any kind of rhythm to that? I mean, is it, is it, is it predictable in any way yeah. or not? There, that's the thing. There's, there's not really a rhythm. You know, there's a, there's a vigilance that you hold as parents. You know, whenever the, the pressure changes outside, that's, you know, a sign that something could be coming on. It just affects our little girl uh, in a negative way. You know, when she doesn't sleep well, when she doesn't eat well, it's just, uh, you know, hypervigilance on our part. And so there's a there's stress and there's trauma that comes with that. And uh, so the, the hard part is there's no routine in that. Well, so what does that make uh, road life like? I mean, does that make it tough when you're on a road or I mean, how do you leave the house knowing you're not coming back for a while? What, what is that like for you and Heather when you leave? Yeah. You know, we try not to make the, the trips too long. You know, I'm out right now for four days and I'll be back you know what, we're going to, we're going to figure out today and tomorrow may be different. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Family is everything. Uh, this whole music and ministering to other people uh, only works because I've been able to be at home, minister to my own people and, and really just, you know, love on one another in that space first. It's impossible at times. Uh, we had an incident a couple months ago. I was in San Antonio and my wife was like, I got to call the ambulance. You know, mm -hmm. we got to take every in. And I couldn't get home for another two days. And it just felt, I felt so helpless, uh, so in need um, that I couldn't be the husband and father that I needed to be in that moment. And so the prayer is just, okay, God, I know that, that you are greater in these areas than I could ever be. So I am just, you know, relying and resting in you in this moment. And I had to go perform that night. And so I shared this story of what was going on because I think again, that healing comes when we let it out. Mm -hmm. We cannot let that pain live inside us. And so to your question of what has God been showing us, I used to think a lot of this life was in my control, but this whole season has revealed to me how little control I had in the first place and how uh, God's providence is all over this thing. You know, his omniscience is all over this thing. His just the characteristics of our God are so great. I've always believed he's good. I've always believed he's faithful. And now walking through this fire, you know, on a more consistent basis, I think you have the opportunity to dig in with him or just say, God, I'm done. See you later. Hmm. And we've just chosen to dig in with him. And he's just revealed his goodness and his faithfulness in such deeper ways. See, that last soundbite right there could have spoken so powerfully, I think, to what we're experiencing as a Christian culture. And uh, we had Dave Barnes on here recently, and he he spoke to this you know, what you're probably experiencing as well in a city like Nashville, Tennessee. And I don't know where your past life with Canada was with deconstruction, but, you know, are we going to lean yeah. in and really focus on God's word and what's true and go to him if you're going to take a road of quote unquote deconstruction to ultimately reconstruct? Yeah. And I love yeah. one of the things I saw in an interview with you I really, really liked is you have a way about you. And you talked about it, about sharing the needs, sharing what's going on, being honest, being real letting prayer points be unknown and not in a greedy, like sometimes people can do that. It's like boohoo, poor me, elevate your stuff over everybody else's. Or if it comes to financial stuff, like, come on, I need, 
I need you to do for me here. And and you just had a genuine, like, this is what people who follow Jesus do with truth, with grace. We were actually joking before we got on air here, a couple of us about the comedian, Michael Jr. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah. him much, or not, but yeah. he does this thing where you can sign up and he go around a country and like, if something happens in places he's been, people can go to and serve and meet needs. And you just seem to have a way about you, Jordan, that you're okay with that. And you're going to put yourself out there and not that you're more significant than somebody else with their needs. So speak maybe to where that's developed in you, because that's an example, a la first Corinthians 11, one, we need to follow. Yeah. You know, my wife and I, we've never been very public in our life. Like I'll, I'll often say, we never even shared a birth announcement about our, our third child. You know, like we didn't even, you know, put that out there on social media. But when Emory came along, the burden was too great. It just was. And what I've realized is our identity and role as the body of Christ, you know. And so there's, there's this greatest, one of God's greatest blessings just staring us in the face uh, when we have a need. It's important that we just share it. Now, we are not victims to our circumstance. So if you can share it in a way where you know that God is in control, people will respond. Mm. We are not victims, you know, at the end of the day. And when we present ourselves as victims, it's very hard for people to get along uh, side of you and, and serve you. But you are not a victim, you know, when you operate out of the victory that you have through Christ and everything he's done for you. I think the church can see that and we want to rally around that. We want to support that because God is there and he's doing something and we want to be a part of it. Yeah. I love that thought about our lives, our personal ministry should be, where is God working and let's join him there versus here's what I'm doing and God, you show up where I am. So yeah, you seem to get that. Yeah. We always, we always pray, you know, uh, God, where should I be? You know, God, what should I be doing? What's what's your calling on my life? And, and I, I, again, I used to pray those prayers, but I think the calling on our lives is to love him. The calling on our lives is to love his people. Mm-hmm. Anything extra beyond that, it should be an overflow of who we are. Yeah. You know, we are people who love God. We are people who love his people. You know, music is not my identity. As a songwriter, it's not my identity. It can't be because it will leave me empty. It has. But when I focus on, you know, Matthew 22, 37 to 39, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You know, Jesus says, this is my greatest commandment. Again, going back to my competitive nature of, you know, I want the best for my life so that I can be the best for others. Mm. Um, Matthew 22 says it all. Um, That is my greatest commandment. And the next is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That has been my filter for the last, you know, handful of years. And, um, I think it's allowed me to hold this whole career, this music thing with an open hand. Sure. It's less about me controlling it. And then, like you said, going where God is being a part of the work that he is doing, that he has prepared for us to do. You know, it's funny. This is maybe some comment you tend to make at the end of an interview like this, but I mean, I've been blessed to have some great people on here, but you know what I love about you, Jordan, is you're just one of these guys, like who does not want to see you succeed? Whatever that means. And let's, (laughs) let's don't equate that with, number one songs necessarily or money or, you know, downplays of songs or, or, or whatever that is. But I'm just like, you're just one of those guys. It's like, who does not want to do whatever they can to make you, I mean, when, when I say that, I don't know if anybody else has said something like that. I'm sure you've gotten it. How do you embrace that? How do you respond? To I that? think it's an, aff- I think it's an affirmation that, that I'm chasing the heart of God because I just want to be poor people. You know, at the end of the day, it's not about me. I'm not central to this story. Mm. And, um, and when we make God the center, we're just 
you know, Chris Tomlin has a song called Be the Moon, you know, and I'm sure that concept has been used before, but our job is just to be the moon, reflect the glory of the sun. Amen. And that's, that's all I want to do. And it's taken me a while to discover that, to realize I am not the center of my own story. And so when people aren't and they're striving and they're going after things, I'm like, I get it. I get it. And so my prayer is that you would just come to the end of ourself because when we get to the end of who we are, all that's left is God. Yeah. And God has used pain and suffering in my life to get me to that place. I was a, a mass comm major in college and I focused a good bit of my study outside of media on uh, interpersonal communication. And, you know, they say that 93% of communication is, is without the words, the 7% is the words. And I think you have such mm -hmm. a great balance between your words, I think carry a lot of weight and, and there's real godliness and wisdom and, and some real soaking in the Lord that is in those words, but then you have this countenance and I kind of made some notes on this. I just watching you on this other interview, I thought you have a countenance to me. I was really kind of praying it through like, Lord, what are the words for his countenance? And I thought it's kind of a mix of like really solid joy with kind of a love and a full trust in the gospel and an expectation that God's going to show up and move no matter how hard, no matter how challenging, you know, whatever. And I could tell in that particular interview, the two people that were with you, they were impacted by you. I mean, they were, and it wasn't like warm and fuzzy. Like we're, we're just, you know, we're supposed to like you cause we're doing this interview. Like they, right, were, right. they were impacted by you, man. I'm, I'm I, yeah, again, I'm grateful. God has put something in me that I know has needed to get out for a long time. And um, it's really just been waiting for his timing in all of that. And so I think, again, the music, I'll say this a lot. The music is, is just the car I drive. Mm. You know, it's just, a, you know, some, some days we're going to get a, a Mercedes and some days <laughs> we're going to get a beat up Honda Civic. And again, the calling is still intact, right? The calling is to get to the people, bring this message of hope, you know, that God is for them, will never be against them, that we are his kids. And so today I get to do that through the vehicle of music. And I'm so grateful. Tomorrow may not be the case. And that's okay, because the calling is still the same. So Jordan, I've got my first issue with you and use the analogies of the two cars. I don't know why you had to say the Honda Civic was the beat up one, because I got a Honda Civic. So you're kind of, you're kind of offending me a little bit in that particular comment. You know right? why? It's probably because in high school, that was kind of the car yeah. and nobody could afford a new Honda Civic. So they had, you know, the first car was the beat up old Honda Civic. That's right. Exactly. That's true. I, I can relate to that on some level there as well. You go. So let's get back to the, the music bit for a second. So, you know, fires and again, where you travel are making a difference and they're impacting people and you're hearing stories and all that. So you wrote those with two other people, both times with fires. It was Matthew West. I wasn't familiar yeah. with the names of the other two people on the other one, but when you get done writing songs like that, I, I would think there's one of three ways you go. You either get done and you're like, sigh, rest, it's over. Or there's, yeah. wow, there's really something here. Or yeah. it's like, quickly move on to the next thing. What was it like? Yeah, were both exactly. songs the same way? Were one of them one way and one was a different? How'd it go with those two songs maybe? You know what? With, with Fires, it was like, I thought, okay, that, that's a really good song. You know, and again, I don't know. I didn't know anything beyond that. I've never had a, a hit song before. As I began to share it with family and friends that I trusted, they were like, this is an impactful song. This is a special song. And so they kind of affirmed that. And as we began writing in that season, that one just kind of stood at the top. And, and again, it became true of my story. Fires was not born out of my circumstance. 
it came six months before Emery was born, but then it began to minister to us. Mm. And so we thought, okay, we're in this fire. We're walking through this, this valley. If it's going to minister to us and remind us of God's faithfulness and the depth of it through our fire, then likely it'll resonate with other people. With Weary Traveler, when we were done, I was so intimidated because I didn't know if I was even going to be able to sing it. You know, it was such a new uh, melodic interval in that chorus. So I sat with it for a couple of days. And when I sang the vocal, uh, I sent it over to the producer and then he sent me the demo back. So so basically we'll write the song. Uh, we had a producer, you know, work with us when we were writing and uh, he sent me this demo back and I was in tears. Mm. I just remember hearing that. I'm like, because we had gone through so much at that point, And then I was just thinking culturally, you know, we were in the middle of a pandemic, you know, there weren't any real answers for a lot of people. And I think that's where it gets scary. People want concrete answers and fear makes us do crazy things. And I think a lot of us were so tired. We needed rest. And Jesus said, come, Hmm. come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. And that song, that's, that was our hope, you know, that while, we are navigating this thing with our daughter that we could come to him and just say, God, it's too heavy, but we're going to continue to dig in with you. So that that was probably the first song I've written that moved me in that way. Hmm. Very cool. We got to hit on YWAM. You mentioned YWAM earlier, and I'm, I'm a fan of YWAM. I've known numerous people who've done DTS and been on more full-blown staff, and I've been to yeah. near L.A. for YWAM base, New York. I didn't do the nine month thing like you did, but I'm really jealous. When you said you went to Montana, Montana is my yeah. favorite state, even though I live in Ohio, but um, I was super jealous of that. And I, I assume through your YWAM experience, you obviously got uh, some level of the dunk into Lauren Cunningham, who's their founder, yeah, the absolutely. wrote the book. Is that really you God, which is one of my all time favorite books. And he uh, was announced. How many years ago was that? He was announced as like the most traveled man in the history of the world which was crazy, wow. but he's obviously been a lot of that places. Yeah. Talk about your YWAM experience and maybe what that did for you. We'll let you kind of do a YWAM commercial, if you will. Yeah. You know, growing up in church, that we just had so many people, young adults, come back from their experience with YWAM and, and just share their testimony. And I, I knew from the first couple people that I heard from, I'm like, that's what I want to do with my life. Mm. And so I worked so hard in high school where I finished half a year early I got, I uh, picked up a, a job apprenticing as an electrician, you know, making so much an hour and just socking money away. And uh, then that January, I went to YWAM, Montana, and uh, did the, the DTS program there. This would have been in 2002. And so going to YWAM, I think, you know, I'm going to go to China on my mission or Bangladesh or Africa. And um, the option came up to go serve at Ground Zero. And it was just, I was like, New York City, that's where I'm going. And it was just an immediate gut reaction. And I never, never turned back from that idea. And again, I've always had this real missional heart. I want to go see the world. So it was kind of a little counterintuitive. So I just felt like God's hand was all over that decision already because I, I had wanted to go see the world. And New York City, while it's, it's adventurous and it's neat, it's not a foreign country, so mm. to speak, you know, even being from Canada. So we got to go do multiple things. But one of the main things was provide food services at Ground Zero. We did the, the midnight shift, like 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. 
we would just do food services for the firefighters, policemen, and you know the uh, the cleanup crew. So we worked at the ground zero site, and then we worked at the morgue site, which mm. which was basically a a parking lot full of you know refrigerated semis, and uh, it was sacred ground. You know, we were told very clearly, you know, do not speak unless you were spoken to. Mm. These guys are going to be worn out, and they just want to sit and eat in peace so that they can get back to work. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. That's unbelievable. So I'm, just, I'm assuming you've used the phrase that a good friend of mine uses that YWAM stands for youth without any money. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. That's about right. <laughs> I've heard him say it so many times. It's not even funny, but uh, anyway, let's skip to my rapid five. So I do these five questions, kind of quick hitting, come fast. Right. You respond quickly. We go. So Jordan, what's your favorite childhood snack or cereal? Oh, um, that's gotta be cap and crunch. Man, that's like such a popular answer. Everybody uses that answer. Is it really? Yeah, I get it a lot. I mean, it just wrecked the roof of your mouth and you didn't care because it tasted so good. Sure, yeah. Oh. We'll go with it. We'll let you have that. What's your favorite book you most want to gift to other people or have given other people? Yeah, my favorite book that I recommend was a book that was recommended to me, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And it just, I remember reading it for the first time. I was done and I had to read it again. It just so represented the heart of God for his people and the second chances that he gives us, mm. but he really desires relationship and that comes at a cost. And so the great divorce by C.S. Lewis is, is probably my top, like my favorite book that I've ever read, maybe top three, but yeah, it's, it's a beautiful story. Well, way to convict me. Cause that's been used before and I've gotten it from the library a couple of times and never read it. So now it's got, oh, yeah. it's got, I mean, even get the audio book. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. You know, listen on your drive. Good word. I like it. So Jordan, your family's going on vacation somewhere. Let's say you're driving to Michigan or somewhere down in Florida. And if you're like our family, you get to where you think you're going to stop traffic either happens or there's a bathroom break 10 minutes sooner than you think. And you got to stop sooner. And you look at the exit sign and it says McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, and I'm assuming you've been out west, in and out Burger. Right. Where, where are the St. Sears going? Okay. If we're in Canada, we only got McDonald's. So McDonald's would be, you know, our choice. I would say, so for, for the majority of my family, it would be Chick-fil-A because our girls are chicken nugget crazy people. And, but my oldest, Aiden, he's 11. He is a burger freak like he is just that is his thing so he would be voting in and out so we would be a very divided car wow let's put it that way okay yeah well if you ever go the one the one in brentwood not far from kroger my nephew works at the one in brentwood by kroger so you could see yeah. a family member of mine working at chick-fil-a i think he does a drive through a decent bit so. i know that one well there you go the parking lot there's kind of goofy because it's in a little plaza and i'm like yeah that chick-fil-a is a little funky with the maneuvering around once you pull in but uh anyway What's the movie that gets you and pulls you in every time, whether that's you solo on the road or you and Heather are watching a movie? What's a movie if you were doing old school flipping channels and you saw it, you're like, we're, we're in. Oh, um, Shawshank Redemption, for sure. You know, that movie, there's just so much going on about the character of humanity. You're right, there's, the, the characters, they're just so deep and rich and just our longing for well, really redemption, mm -hmm. uh, for freedom, uh, for something greater in our lives. To me, there's so much gospel all over that, that movie. That would be the one I would stop and just, you know, I'd watch it halfway through. Sure. Just jump in. You know, it was filmed about an hour, hour and a half from here. So 
Oh, no way. Yeah, I've driven past I'm that either. before a number of times. So, okay, last one. I know you're a, ball, you're a big ball hat guy. You got one on right now, and, yeah. and I know you love your hats. But what's your favorite trendy clothing item of all time that you bought into hook, line, and sneaker? And it was trendy. I mean, it's got to be. Like, I love the flat brims. Um, man, I, I, wear, I wear Chucks, Converse. You know, I've got my, my shoes on. There you go. <laughs> Um, are you a Jordan guy? You know, yeah, my son is, oh, yeah. um, I always bug him because he, you know, wears everything with my name on it. Um, <laughs> that's just a dad that's thing. Right. We got to embarrass our kids. You know, I'm not so much of a trendy guy. I'm always kind of a, I'm not really a bandwagon guy, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, I guess I like my hats. I like my shoes. See, be like me. I'm colorblind and, and I got no style, so I can just blame whatever I wear and I don't have to have style. The only thing I've got that's remotely stylish is I have bought into it at 52 years old, the idea of uh, Hey Dudes. I do like some Hey Dudes. You, you, got nice. any of those? you got those at all? Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Man. I had Rhett Walker on here. I love with Rhett Walker. He's a big Hey Dudes fan and a Crocs fan. So I'm like, man, if we ever hung out sometime, we could talk all day about Crocs and Hey Dudes. So. <laughs> You know, the older I get, I will say, you know, comfort is more of a factor than 100%. passion. Let's 100%. get serious. No doubt about that. So, 100%. Cool. Good stuff there. So, this line you used, I heard you talked about when you started out touring, you said to the booking agents, I want to be around people I want to be like. And I love that, yeah. particularly in the music industry, where I'm guessing I would love to think everybody's great and what you think they are, but that's not always going to be true. So how does that play yeah. out in your life on tour? How does that play out on your life when you're home? I mean, obviously community means something to you when you're thinking you as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a leader, as a songwriter, all those things, looking at church life, neighbors. Talk about that statement beyond just even music. And maybe give us a name or two of someone on the road that's really impacted you, the truth of that statement. Yeah, you know, I think the best way that we can honor our families by leaving is to come home full, you know. And so in order to do that, we need to surround ourselves with people that we admire, people that just aren't affirming us, but that are actually growing us. Iron sharpens iron. And uh, it's a lot of time spent away from family. It's a lot of time spent with people that, that are new relationships, new friends. And, you know, a lot of reputation goes before them, you know, in this industry. And so, you know, okay, so I was out on a Christmas tour with the Casting Crowns guys. And what I loved about that tour was just the culture that they brought forward. The songs that they're singing, they're living or they're doing their best to live every day. And what greater way to make an impact in people's lives than to be the proof, you know, that this is, this is a life worth living, that, that Christ can really work in our lives in the everyday. So it's really, it's the culture that is represented on the road. I think that speaks the most, the way artists handle themselves. You know, a lot of it is what's very revealing is it's the crew. It's the mm. backing, you know, the backing band, you know, how they're acting is a representation of the tone that the, whoever the, is the boss on the tour is, is setting, you know? And so, um, you know, right now we're on the Jeremy Camp tour, the I Still Believe tour, and the culture is just, it's great. You know, the care for one another, the camaraderie, it says a lot. And it just, it fosters a great environment for us to really just believe well, you know, like 
to really practice what we believe. There's no barriers. There's not a lot of drama. And so, um, yeah, Ho- hopefully that answered your question. Well, so when, when, you, when you see that, like you talked about casting crowns, and that's probably no surprise to anyone with Mark Hall and team. Do you, do you, yeah. Are you saying you see it pretty much across the board with the crew, the sound guys, the tear-up, tear-down? I mean, exactly. You see it across the board. Yeah. Yeah, you know what they've they've you know they've toured with their their kids on the road this whole time, and they just there's such a way and a grace that they operate in that they extend to to people to new people they've just met, and by doing that they're saying you're you're not out you're in mm. you know you're you're a part of the the crew, and I think what that does it it just allows us to be vulnerable and you know let our walls down, and uh, to really just have genuine community. That's interesting, as you say, because I've often wondered with the crew and the you know the road managers if they're not one of the musicians and things like that. Like, where are they just greatly ministered to, and they're people that maybe have a certain skill set that may not because they're not out front. They may not need to be bold, right? You know, robust right. followers of Jesus. Or where are they greatly ministering to things behind the scenes? I mean, I could I could see it going either way, or maybe it's bad yeah. in some cases, and the culture is not great. So, sounds like your experience has mostly been good, though. Yeah, it, I think it's both and, you know, our job, I mean, as, as believers first is to minister with whoever we run into, mm-hmm. you know, the easy part is going on stage and singing the songs, mm. but how are you operating when you talk to the guy who's operating the curtain or the guy who's, you know, doing your monitors, the guy who's doing just bringing you lunch. I think that's very revealing of, of what you believe and um, how big God is in your life. You know, I've seen it both ways. I've seen, you know, on the Crowns tour, some of the crew, uh, you know, they would preach at tour church, you know, like they are in on this. And then other tours, you you see guys, you know, doing things, you know, you don't really approve of. And yeah. either way, you know, everybody's on, on a point on this journey. Neither one is more valuable. But I, if you see it, you know, sure. your job is to is to be a presence, I think. Yeah. I remember a conversation. I think it was, uh, it was Andy Downs and I think it was Andy Downs and uh, Bear Reinhardt and just talking about like, she was getting ready to go out on her uh, podcast tour or something she had done that was kind of newer or ramping up. And I, which I happened to see that in Columbus with uh, Micah Tyler, but she, I thought it was, it was really interesting and just hearing him talk about as you get bigger, all the numbers of people that go out with you and just how important culturally it is to whether you're the person putting it all together. And then the last person you would consider on that, like it's really important to make that culture start to finish top to bottom, everybody, you know, on the same page. So um, it'll be neat as you kind of grow and develop where you're the one really setting that pace in a lot of ways. So let me ask you one thing back to music. I've been thinking about some lyrics of songs that really minister to me and, and you've got some of those and I had to go away from you just for a moment to stir your own thoughts about other songs. But um, 10th Avenue North had the song with a lyric that said, somehow you want me, the king of heaven wants me. Jars of Clay's yeah. great song I love called I Need You is had a line in there that said, I don't have a moment to spare, but all the time in the world to know you're there. And then a great Torn Wells song has got the great phrase, hard truth and ridiculous grace, which I love. Man, that just oozes yeah. John 114. When you're writing music, yeah. do you do you take a lot of time thinking about a specific line or two in a song? Or do you just write a song? How does that kind of work? Because we all love a great one-line thing in a song. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just speak it out and it's a lyric. You know, that's rarely the case, though. I find that you basically speak something out, you put it down on paper, only to refine it, dig deeper. 
you know, gold is mined, you know, kind of thing. And so I think it's in the second draft, it's in the third draft. Mm. And then, you know, kind of once we get that song laid out, I'm pretty granular. Like, oh, should that be an and or should it be a but or maybe mm. a so? And really dig into each word, make sure it's it's all saying exactly what we mean. I'll scour over the lyrics and just make sure they're right for days. Uh, wow. Sometimes it comes quicker. Sometimes it takes three years. You know, I don't know why that is, but uh, I think if we can engage that tension, you know, where that that rub is, uh, that's where there's a lot of power. It sounds great that you're that committed to the process that you would say three years later, you're going to go back and address the song you wrote. Yeah, that's cool. Well, you know, there was a season of life where I told my wife, you know, maybe I should go back to, you know, seminary or maybe I should go become a police officer. And she's like, well, what would you do with your spare time? And I'm like, well, I guess I'd write a song, you know? Yeah. And so it's just, it's just in me to kind of keep going head on, you know? So it's just what God has given me. Yeah. So if it's a three year process, so be it, I'll still be writing songs. See, and I love that. I think you really seem to know who you are well. So let's, let's close it out with this, Jordan. I want, I'm grateful for your time. I want to respect it. So let me ask you this question. Philippians 1, 6, we are far from finished products. God is continually working smoothing us out, making us who he wants to make us through refiner's fire. Who is Jordan St. Cyr becoming? Man, that is, that is a crazy good question. Um, I think God is continually refining me, you know, creating the person he desires to be for those around me. I think I try and look through, you know, at life through this lens of a, a father and a child. You know, as I'm a father and I have my children, my dad and, and us and uh, trying to, to just live simply like that. And uh, just the way God is continually reminding me of my role in all of this. And so it's trying to keep it simple and remembering that I'm just a child, not just a child, but I am the child mm. in this relationship. He is the father. And so. I'm hopefully becoming more childlike every day in wow. that respect. But also he is shaping me, molding me to be the man uh, that he wants me to be to really just impact the lives of people around me. Yeah. Kyle Eidelman has a book out called One at a Time, and he uses a, a phrase in there about the proximity principle. And it's really about us yes. loving most who's closest to us, which you know, that's not the ri that's most right. original idea, but you seem like you do that really well. So Jordan, it's been great having you on here. If people want to know more, where are the best places they can find you for tour information, for checking out lyrics, all the kind of good stuff? Where, where do they go for that? Yeah. I mean, if, if you're still into websites, just go to jordanstcyr.com, J-O-R-D-A-N-S-T-C-Y-R.com. I would say the best place to get at me would be Instagram. And, and second to that would be Facebook. And that's just, my handle is just my name, at Jordan St. Cyr. Great. Well, I'm, since I'm here working with our tag team partners at Rise FM, we're hoping there's a chance you're coming our way soon, at least into the summer, right something like that. We'd love to have you. And I'm hoping to try to be, even though I'm not a big amusement park fan, July 23rd, it was just announced, you are opening up for Skillet. And the John yes, Cooper, sir. Jordan St. Cyr time, you guys hanging out would be great to be a fly on the wall because I respect him a lot. Certainly have great appreciation for you. So anybody in the area, in the region, you can go to Cincinnati, go to Mason, Ohio, July 23rd, and see Skillet uh, in Jordan St. Cyr at Kings Island. So, Jordan, thanks for being on here. Look forward to maybe doing this again with you some other time. All right, man. Take care. 
Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.